Welcome back to Grace Unscripted. As always, I'm your host, Ben Falkenberg. Thanks for tuning in as we dig into the lives of God's people and see how he's moving outside the walls of the church building. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Richard Fisher. Dr. Fisher is just an incredible man of God who's faithfully served the Lord his entire adult life, including seven years here at Grace as a lead pastor of adult education. Now, prior to coming to Grace, Dr. Fisher, he's busy. He earned a bachelor's degree in history from Bob Jones University, a bachelor's of theology and Bible from Appalachian Bible College, a master's of theology and historical theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, a PhD in religion from Covington Theological Seminary. That's enough to make my head spin. By the time this episode airs, Dr. Fisher will have retired and begun his new life in Warner Robins, Georgia, where he and his wife are going to move and they're going to have the opportunity to live in the same area as his kids and his grandchildren. And that's just an awesome opportunity. I'm happy for him and his family. But I'll be honest, man, I hate to see him leave. I hate to see such a special man of God leave us. Um, I've had the privilege of getting to know him a little bit the last couple years, and he's just such a joy to be around. And he's just such an endless wealth of knowledge. I mean, I could, frankly, I could talk to him all day. And in this recording, I almost did. And we talked for several hours. And so Dr. Fisher and I spent quite a bit of time at the beginning talking about his education and his upbringing. And, you know, I decided to cut most of that out. Uh, in this recording for the sake of keeping this episode at a reasonable length. So we will actually be joining our conversation about a half hour into it. Nevertheless, I think you're going to love hearing from the man we call Fish. So thanks for listening, and welcome to Grace Unscripted. So what's that like? I mean, how'd that shape you? To, to get that much schooling on, I mean, what are you learning? Just the Bible, you're going through Greek, Hebrew, learning to appreciate God's word. Are they trying to teach you, hey, this is what it looks like to go do ministry outside these doors? Like kind of describe those years to me. It, it really is a commitment to understanding God and his word. And there is, it, is, it is very difficult if you take it seriously. What you're becoming to, you're becoming an adjunct to the church by, uh, by offering them uh, what I would call, I don't know if other of us to say it, but you're becoming part of the academic world. And you, you're, what you're saying to the church, I'm here to be used to make sure that we understand the history, that we understand the language, that we understand the projective or the perspective of, of the past and then project that in the future to where we're going so that the church doesn't just take off and do something without a background of knowing what the Word of God says. Gotcha. But now that doesn't always happen. I, in other words, I think the academy and the and the ministry should be married together, and actually, that's what we do here at Grace. I think we do it very well. And I was in the academy for a long time, and and I'm, I made a choice that if that I was going to serve the ministry and and do that. And so you bring that over, and I think that's a better choice. I, I think sometimes we get lost in the academic world. Mm-hmm. And and I and I found myself every once in a while being there, and you tend to be more argumentative and defensive than you do um, compassionate. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And you focus more on principle, and there's nothing wrong with principle. Don't get me wrong, but you focus on people. In other words, the principles are always there to help you minister to people, not the other way around. Not the other way around. I know for me, like. This this sounds like the conversations I have with Tanya all the time because I am um, I'm just very academic in how I look at stuff and for me like what excites me is you know I'll get an hour and a half kids are down I can go read and 
you know, I'm just digging in here and got commentaries left and right. And, and I'll come down with some like new principle that I'm like real excited about. And it's like blowing my mind. And, and she'll be like, <laughs> how does that like, what should, and she'll just say like, okay, how does that apply in real life? Like, what do I do with that? And sometimes I'm like, I have no idea. But there's other times I'm like, I'll be so excited. I'll be like, what well, means this, you know? And mm-hmm. But it's like, a, it is this almost like a different thing of like, um, it feels like you're almost at odds a little bit of like, okay, you, you're trying to figure out what the Bible says. Now, actually, what do you do with it? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's interesting that well, you... What I love is to read Paul because he actually does those exercises, both of them. He'll start off and talk about, okay, this is the basis of where God's heart is. This is what God has done for us. He lays this foundation. And then he moves to, we place our faith in that. And then all of a sudden it becomes practical. Now, how do you walk worthy of that calling? Yeah. I like, I'm just thinking of Ephesians, which is the easiest one to put together that way. And then, then he talks about how we apply it into life. And then you get the idea as you listen to Paul, you have to actually have a theology that works, that reflects God's heart, and that moves us in the direction of ministry to people. If it doesn't do that, then probably you've got to disconnect somewhere. You've missed the point. Right. You've missed the heart of God in your theology. Right. And so, and then it talks about, you know, I love the way, and then he comes at the end and he basically says, okay, guys, now we've got to get down and we've got to take on the devil. Yeah. And we need prayer. We need to work together as a team. We need to have courage. You know, I I love the way he writes that way. And and I think that's the issue between the academy, which I'm, I love to learn too, obviously. Uh, And I like, because you did a lot of it. (laughs) And I like, I like, I like to philosophy, I like to be involved in philosophy, but I don't like when philosophy becomes almost fantasy yeah. instead of uh, the groundwork that helps you to apply something practically. I think the biggest thing that most of us who do know you is that at some point you land at Moody Bible Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when you first came to Grace. How long have you been here? 2010? Eight years. So, eight, mm-hmm. so 2010. I remember just hearing like, oh, he's, he had been at Moody Bible Institute for whatever, like 27, 30 years. And I think that's a name that most of us know. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you land there? And what are you doing at Moody for almost 30 years? I love to see how God directs our lives. And it's easy to see looking back. And you say, wow, I can't, God was working that way in our life, and God was working this way. And so it's, it's good to see that movement. When, when we graduated from the Dallas Theological Seminary, and I say we because it is a, a couple journey. Yeah, it, it, it takes is. two people to get one man through. We were talking, I was kind of touching on that with Lori the other day. You know, what was mm-hmm. it like for you guys when you joined the ministry here and she I means you're one you know yeah. i mean it's, that's biblical fact you're you're one person yeah if you don't do it together it makes it real difficult it's probably a disaster and so uh, god directed us to uh to canada i was on a team of men and we were uh, we were like missionary pastors and uh we were working in the area of ontario and it was a good ministry and uh, i was there we were there a little bit over 4 years and then uh, God opened up a, a church in this area in Ohio, and I moved down here. And the very first year we moved here, uh, the leader or the director for the evening school came to visit us because he needed someone to work with him, needed teachers. And so they asked me to do that. So is this a representative from Moody? Yes, a okay. representative from Moody. And his name was Dr. Ray Wolf, and a great man. And so, uh, and so I said, yes, I'll do that. And between then and oh maybe a year after that, his assistant left, and the opening was there, and he asked me if I'd become his assistant. Gotcha. 
And then when he retired two years later, he had sort of trained me, took me through the ropes. Then Moody asked me if I would be their regional director. So what were you, so you're the regional director of what exactly? Of what they would, in those days we called extension schools. It's much of what we have here. Yeah. Uh, I would establish extensions, and most of them are what we call a, uh, just a continuing education units, as CEUs, but it's adult education. Okay. Of course, uh, Dr. Wolf wouldn't have it any other way. We taught it at the academic level of a college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so everybody so everybody goes, man, this is harder than my school, you know, that type of stuff. But it was a good school, and uh, we got to build it up to where we had 1,000 students a year That's in a this lot. in northeast Ohio. So it was very influential. Matter of fact, it was those days that I actually touched the lives of some of the of the directors and pastors that are now on staff here. And so God worked through that ministry to connect me with that, with Grace Church. That's pretty cool. So how so how did exactly did you kind of to come together? How did you come to Grace Church? Like what happens in there? You said you met you kind of met some of the people that were here as they were learning. And mm-hmm. how does that transition into you being like, "Hey, I'm going to start well, for instance, Moody, Moody Institute here at Grace. When, when Pastor Jeff uh, was working with Ryan, he would. Ryan is one of our graduates. Okay. I always like to brag. He's my favorite all-time student. He's a cool dude. <laughs> he is. And uh, and and Jeff said to Ryan, Ryan, you know, Moody Bible Institute is right here. You need to get into the Word if you're going to become a minister, and 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 be serious about serving God. And so he start. He joined with the Moody Bible Institute at that time. And went through the program. Now, was that here at Grace already, or was that somewhere? No, that that would have been at CVCA okay. and other locations. Okay, so he starts there. Mm-hmm. All right, and then eventually you kind of bring it here to establish. Well, what we did here is uh, this was a brainchild of the I think CE National, and so we they were I was just talking. I talk with Ryan on a, on occasion all all through our life together, and they were talking about bringing in a program which taught students how to be leaders in the next generation. They would take them right out of high school or before they got into college, and they would take them through a whole year of intense training. And they would teach them the various ways of leading in the church. They would teach them the Bible. They would give them missionary experiences. Is they that would, the 412? And we called it 412 out of First Timothy 412, okay. about being an example of purity and love. And, and it's, it's, just a, it's a great challenge. matter of fact, it's one of my favorite sections in the Bible. And and it was a program that that taught what that immersed them in the Bible, but also expected them to take that and to put it in the ministry. Those were the days of the of the Judgment House, and so that I remember was remember that I went to that when I was in middle school. Yeah, that was one of their. They were involved in that, and they also each one of them had to be on witness teams. They had to be on discipleship teams, on visitation teams, hospital men. I mean. They were exposed to the ministry. Then we took them all around the country and exposed them to a very uh, practical applications through these great churches, various various colors and denominations. But, yeah. but And then we took them on the mission field, and they, they, they studied missions as well as doing it. They went to the Israel and studied under Randy Smith. We, That's pretty cool. I, it was, to be honest with you, it was one of the best experiences. All in one year. All in one year. It was expensive, and that was one of the things we were always struggling with. Yeah. Huh. But it was a great experience, and that, that gave me first-hand experience with, uh, with Jeff, with Ryan, and with the leadership, both uh, 
in our, in, on my team and with the church here. Okay. And so what is the first thing that you established here? So there's that 412 going through. At some point, you actually brought a different thing, though, right? So the, when you set up shop here with the Moody Bible Institute, that was a degree, wasn't it? That was a degree program. So how did that work? Well, was we, that like a first of its kind here, Grace, or is this something you had been doing? Well, the actual 412 would, would have looked the same, except the 412 was just a one-year program. Whereas the Moody Bible Institute extension that we brought here was an actual four-year degree. And that's the extension thing that you had been directing for the last 20-some years. Right. That makes sense. I didn't know that. I never knew how that was connected. Yeah. And, and you so, just kind of ran that here. But at some point, you kind of like set up shop here like this is going to be what you do when you transitioned off of Moody to mm-hmm. Gray Staff. Well, the difference was that when I worked with Moody, I actually worked in the academic world developing that clearly. When I came on staff here, I was able to sort of fulfill a more of a heart thrust in that we would take the academic world and that we would fashion it and hone it to reflect a ministry-based focus. So we have the Word of God, but but you, you have the Word of God not just to study it for knowledge's sake, but to uh, understand it so you can put it into practice. And yeah. that was our thrust. And that was that know it, live it, give it away which yeah. fit right fit right in there. Yeah. Okay. And so you kind of took over or you kind of got named head of basically the know it department, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I list this off or I found this on the website. So the website lists you as the lead pastor of the of the know it ministry. And Does it uh, call me lead pastor? It says, it says, I think it says a lead pastor of the mm-hmm. know it ministry. And then me let me read the quote. I'm actually I should put say the, the follow pastor. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. So the goal of the know it this is from the website, the goal of the know it ministry mm-hmm. is to make Jesus Christ clearly known and to call people to an intimate relationship with God by interacting with God's word and his spirit in the challenges of life. We seek to train and develop true spirituality. Now, just reading that after having talked to you for the last half hour, I see what you're saying because when I think of know it, you almost think of an academic type of mm-hmm. type of vision for this. We're just going to be a group of people that know it, like, as in like know the Bible. But clearly it says right here we're, we're trying to make Jesus clearly known. Like, this isn't an academic thing. We want to put this on mm-hmm. display for the world, but we also want to train our leaders to know it, to know the Bible pretty well. Right. I mean, that seems like what it's saying. So, I mean, in your own words, what does that mean to you? Is that kind of your, did you develop this and kind of the mindset of like, this is what we want the know it department to look like? Well, I, no one person develops everything here. So it's a mixture of, of our putting our hearts together. But uh, this has been, this is basically the heart, my heart. And the, the, I, walk, I work very closely with Ryan I mean, in those early days, especially. And that was his heart. And that's and that's Jeff's heart also, because mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about Noah, we're just not talking about learning all the facts. Actually, knowing it in the Bible is where this comes from. To know someone is to experience life with them, to understand them, to uh, and to know someone also involves loving them. So you 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 learn someone, you understand them, you embrace who they are, you fall in love with them, and then you walk with them. And so loving really is is developing an intimate relationship with someone. And, of course, that doesn't happen apart from knowing the Bible yeah. because that's where God has poured his heart. And so, but, but if all you do is look at the Bible and miss the relationship, and one of the things that, so know it forms the, the basis of, of our program because it establishes where the relationship comes from, the focus of the relationship, the direction, 
and it's focused on God and Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That makes sense. And so that's what the know it is. And then the live it is when you begin to ask, oh, how do we do that in community? Because it's always in community. And because we need one another, we're just not complete. Yeah. And, but, but, of course, community involves its people. So live it also involves me walking in a holy manner before God together as a team or as a community. And then when we, when we see how that works, it just flows out of you. And so now you touch your community, you touch the local neighborhoods, and then you touch the world. Yeah. Um, so, like, what kind of stuff is Grace Church doing that you would say falls under the know-it department? Like, what kind of stuff are you overseeing? What we, we oversee, at just if I were going to say just what is the know-it department, we oversee the college development uh, for those who are who's striving to enter into the movement and be trained and so are those, skilled. Are those all considered interns at this point, or is it before we, that? We have, Sometimes uh, I get confused on that. Uh, if, if you come to our church and you're involved in that, we ask you, we're, you're probably going to be an intern. Gotcha. There may be some pl- times when it's not and happening. And so for, for those interns to know it, part would be like, hey, we're, you're going to be in the school now. Like You're right. going to learn the Bible. Right. Okay. And that's now through Grace Church out of Indiana, not through Moody Bible Institute. That's correct. Okay. All right. Um, what about what else are we doing? Uh, well, then we also have what we call the Emmaus Ministry Training, where we're equipping our people to be involved in leadership development so that they, too, can know the Word of God and also know the skills of ministering to people. And that's available to anybody, right? That's available to it's anyone. It's free. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what kind of stuff is that? Like, what does that look like? First of all, we have what we call a foundation, which gives them the uh, the basic training in all areas. So we have... Uh, Areas of Bible study, so we have New Testament overview, Old Testament overview, how to study the Bible on your own, and then basic beliefs of the church. And that just grounds you in what we would call knowledge and Mm -hmm. important understanding. But we also have ministry-type skills like how disciple-making, interpersonal relationships, which is one of my favorite, as we we learn to interact with one another. And then... We also have uh, other skills which, which prepare you for ministry, which we call the learning essentials, and we have leadership essentials, and we have uh, evangelistic. I'm trying to think what the other one just slipped my mind. That's all right. And, but we, what we are is all these things are foundational. Oh, I know what they are. They're, based, they're mission-oriented. One is shape, so you know, can figure out how you serve God here yeah, at the church and like abroad. Yeah, what, what did God build me to do? Right. Kind of and the other one is basically called global missions or, or understanding God's call of missions. Okay. So let me ask you this. What would be maybe like the hardest or the most frustrating thing as someone who's kind of heading up the know it department? Like what are we, what are you running into that's a little bit of like, man, we're fighting this. The, the difficulty that, that, that you run into is the same I, I've faced all my life is that in our culture, we don't have time to invest to really learn something personally. So we want to have some kind of an instant pill or an instant drink that we can do it. And it, it, when it comes over to church, it's like, I don't have time to know all the ins and outs, so just give me the 10-minute the version. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's frustrating about that is that later on in life we go, well, I wish I knew that mm-hmm. because there's no shortcuts uh, in, to, in knowing something. And in our culture, uh, the, the tendency is that we have to experience all of life. 
and there's just not enough time to experience all <laughs> of life yeah. at, at, at the level you need to to actually find out who you are and begin to contribute in that area. For instance, my gifting and my personality, all those things put together, the opportunities that come across my, my pathway, I have to interact with those. And if I do that at a deep enough level, then that's where I make my impact in life. But if I say, I only want to interact with what comes into my life here and I'm going to force myself into other areas, then I'm not going to really make an impact because I'm trying to do everything. Yeah. And I feel that way too. Like I you want know, to I watch, feel that all the time. I mean, like uh, I, I can now buy a package where I can watch every football game that appears the week in the week, and I'm going, every are you kidding me? Why don't I just choose a team like the Cleveland Browns, for yeah. instance, and say I'm going to – I'm going to root for Cleveland and uh, maybe two teams that, so you can watch whenever all the teams play. You'll get to see them at least once. But, you know, we have to see every game. Yeah. And see, in, and in our culture, we have to see every basketball game, every football game, every baseball game. And then all of a sudden we realize, wow, we've spent a 1,000 hours watching sports and we've only been willing to put three weeks in on the Bible. Yeah. yeah. But that's a, it's a frust- I mean, I'm just saying that as a, it's a frustrating thing because – I think what happens is is we know baseball, but we don't know God. I feel that. I mean, I definitely feel that. Like I, as a father of three young kids and someone with a job, it's like I only have so much time in the day. And Mm -hmm. if I, it's very easy for me to sit down. You know, I was talking to my buddy about this. Like when the Cavs are in the NBA Finals, it's it's so easy for me to just sit down and be consumed by this thing for like three weeks. And every night you're up till midnight, and then you blink, and it's been ten days, and you haven't gotten in your Bible. You know, mm-hmm. because it just for whatever reason, I I I feel like. Do you feel like that's our our culture, or is that a a worldwide thing where we just kind of? I feel like sometimes we're real guilty of giving God like our leftover time. Is that a wrong way to say it? No, I, I it, that is something that we all face, and it's not. I mean, I think you can make it to the place where you have a false guilt about it, but the point is, God doesn't want us to spend all of our time just uh, doting or. Yeah. I don't mean that in a bad sense, over him. He wants us to spend time, but it, but there's a time to learn who he is. There's a time to embrace, and there's a time to interact with people. Like one of the things I grew as growing up, I felt that like, for instance, I coached teams for my children when they were growing up, but I also made that a godly thing because we would talk about godly principles. Maybe I wouldn't call them godly principles. <laughs> but they, they were disguised. They were disguised so that they would the parents would let me continue doing it. But uh, – <laughs> But, you know, you you try to work in their lives. And then, for instance, I would pray before a game just to ask God to watch over, protect the kids, you know, that type of thing. And they got used to that type, that type yeah. of so – you, so you, you get involved with sports, but you also try to make sure that it's not uh, consuming you. Yeah. So, like, for the classes that we offer here, mm-hmm. what, what percentage of people would you say in that – our regular attenders here actually would take a class here? If you, if depends on if you're saying one class or a, a whole bunch of classes. Now we have a, we try to train our people in who are entering into ministry leadership uh, over a period of time with classes. So let me define that. So ministry leadership is not like you're at the Grace Bible College. It's like I could walk up to you and say, "Hey, I'd like to enter the ministry leadership." Right. Right. Okay. Which I have. <laughs> which you've done. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. so someone else from the street could walk up. They're like, hey, I've been a faithful attender of grace. I'd like to enter yeah. this. And you're like, okay. And that's the start of classes. Right. Okay. So. And we I, all start with shape and with basic beliefs of the church. Yeah. That's where we ask people to start. Okay. 
and then we move them through other elements of, of important studies. The next level would be like how to study the Bible on your own, uh, disciple-making, and interpersonal relationships, how to relate to people. So what, how many people in a given, like right now, are going through that? We would, I would say there's about 100. Okay. That's not bad. That's a decent-sized group. Well, it's, it, it's sporadic, but, yeah. but that's good. Yeah. We would like to see everyone do that. And, you know, it just what happens is the reality of our church is this. Our church is a disciple-making church. And you have to – so I, I want to make that clear. What, what Jeff does and what Ryan do when they speak from the stage, uh, they are actually training – and answering questions of life and showing how God's Word attaches itself to it and gives guidance to those issues. And so what they're doing is they're introducing people to what I call disciple-making without using all the big terms. You know, they're, they're helping people because people come here, when Jeff says something, they'll go, wow, I better think about that. Well, see, that's the first level of disciple-making. He's mm-hmm. planting the seeds of God's Word in people's hearts. Yeah. So that, that, that layer is there. And then it's not real deep at that point because we, he's, a, he's addressing it, the, the issues. Then when you get the life group, if someone actually applies themselves in the life group, they'll get the applications where the, the interns and the pastors who write those scripts up help them get a, dig a little bit deeper into what yeah. we've talked about. So you're taking Sunday, looking at it in your life group, and all of a sudden you're digging a little bit deeper. And, and then you're bringing life relationships and real-life situations into it. So obviously you're doing the work at that point. You, you, so now the discipleship is having a greater effect. Now, where we come in is we would say, okay, if you want to go deeper than that, then we're giving you the opportunity in these classes. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, we're asking the leaders, and, and this is where Nate comes in and yeah, Nate Rail. Yes, as he is, as he leads and he pushes people into these classes. So I love that, Nate. Nate, I probably know better than any pastor here. He's great. Oh, he's. I anticipate being having a good relationship, working relationship with him. Hopefully for the next twenty or thirty years. I love that guy. <laughs> That's for you, Nate. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. I think he's a phenomenal leader and he's a very godly, humble man. Yeah, and it's good to have that because see, then what he does is a. Not only using his, his his character, but he pushes people into this leadership track so that all of our life group leaders understand that they're discipling people when they do this. Mm-hmm. And then the next level of discipleship are those who lead in mission trips. And we have a great team. Joe's put together a great team, uh, he, and uh, Paul and several people which work with him. They develop the, uh, the, the way that the, the people are trained for missions, takes them through a whole development package. And then there's classes that prepare them for that. So now that's another level of, of discipleship, whether you think of it or not. Now they're learning to actually make disciples, the first steps of what it means to yeah. invest your life in other people. So the church, our church is actually set up through all of our value system to uh, begin disciple-making. And, and what the, the know-it department does is we are the department that comes in behind all of that and enables or, or encourages people to train. We don't do all the training, but we either encourage people to train in areas that need developing, or we provide the classes where people can actually do that.
would be your vision? Like how, as a church, are we going to keep trying to pour ourselves out um, as a NOAA department or whatever, just pouring ourselves out to try to bring people into the depth and the call of, of God on their lives to understand that, like, probably, I had Tim Keller said this one time, and I loved it. He said, you know, wherever you're at right now, wherever God has you, that's a beautiful thing, and he's going to call mm-hmm. you deeper. But at some point, you you probably need to know that a two-minute devotion every other day is not going to get you to the heart of God. Right. And if your desire in your heart that's been laid on you is to know the desire of God, like, you have to walk into that, and that's something that's a choice you have to make. Um, so how can we kind of come around people and help them walk into a, a deeper relationship with God? Like, what, what would that look like in your vision? I, I think talking is important, so we have to emphasize it. I also think that giving people experiences that allow them to feel the power of God work through them and the Spirit of God lead them is something that helps. For instance, if you actually go on a missions trip, you haven't really invested anything except a few dollars and a few hours. But when you go there, all of a sudden you experience what it means yeah. to touch someone's life for God. Yes, yeah, sir. Uh, when, you, when you go to the uh, Feed My Starving Children, you, know, you, you invest a few hours. Maybe you've uh, you know, donated $250 to do it. And you think, I mean, that's almost nothing for an American. Yeah. And, and yet they go there, and all of a sudden— about halfway through that, you know, you're watching the films and seeing all that. All of a sudden it dawns on you that your work is is uh, opening the door by food for people to appreciate what God is doing. And then you that's the first touch. In other words, it's almost like you have to touch what God's doing and taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. You have to get involved. And then then we have to then we start encouraging that. And there comes a place where you say <clears throat> I need to know a little bit more about the Word of God because now people are coming to talk to me. Yeah, And I, it's almost like what's happening here is people don't really personally believe they need that. Yeah. I know. Okay, let me – I'll jump in there on that. So we um, – I, I got saved uh, in college. I grew up in a Christian home. I've talked about this before, so I won't elaborate. But I got saved um, in college, and then I um, – I, you know, I – I was trying to figure out like what what did I just sign up for like what did what did I walk into here um, and so I I didn't I had no idea what to do with it and we we leave college we moved down to Savannah Georgia because I started the anesthesia school down there and I had no idea what to do so I started reading Francis Chan books and and so I would not recommend maybe reading that right away because it I was like has this guy lost his mind or is this what life looks like so I I started. Um, I started on Saturday mornings. I would get up really early and I would pack a bunch of lunches with a, like a handout, like a tract. <laughs> and I would mm-hmm. ride my bike seven miles down into Savannah because there's homeless people ever. And I would ride around and I would give these breakfasts with a tract to homeless people. Right. And, and it was my first taste of like, oh, I'm actually serving some people in this. Mm-hmm. But I still had no idea like what I was even doing because I never really got into the Bible. I just understood that like I was a sinner. Jesus saved me. I'm supposed to like love some people now, so I start handing the tracks. I have no idea what I'm doing, right? And then we moved from there. We were actually in St. Louis for a while, whatever. And I had no foundation. I just had none. I had no biblical foundation. I didn't know anything other than like the real surfacey stuff. Um, and I just kind of slid back into the the life I was three years ago. And all of a sudden, he's an add-on. I didn't really care much about him, whatever. And then um, my wife was like, "Hey, I, I want to start leading Young Life again." 
And so Young Life's been a big part of her life. She grew up uh, in Mount Vernon, and Young Life was very um, important in, in high school. She kind of That's where she got serious about Jesus and stuff, and then she had led uh, Young Life when she was in college, and I first met her. So we moved back to this area. We're in Akron, and she's like, I want to start leading Young Life again. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Like, I believe in Jesus. I knew that. But I, I didn't really have any idea, like, why you want to go hang out with high school kids, like, with, like, 24 now. You know what I mean? I didn't really get it. Um, but she's like, she's like, let me talk to them about it. So she does. And she's like, well, they said the only way I can do it is if you do it too. <laughs> which is my friend Grissom said that. He, he was the air director, which is in his – from his view, that was a great insight. Um, mm-hmm. And so – She's like, will you come to a Young Life Club with me and check it out? So I, I'm like, I will go to appease the wife. So I go, and I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm just from watch this. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like, if I was gonna try to show Jesus to a bunch of high school kids who don't know, I'm like, this is a pretty good way to do it. So yeah, I'll, I'll do this with you. Sounds fun. And I had no idea what I was signing up for. And so, you know, it's six months, a year in, and all of a sudden, there's like, Jesus is starting to do things like in kids' lives, and all of a sudden, they're coming to me, and I'm like. Like I'm supposed to lead them, and I had no, I had nothing for them other than like a very shallow understanding of Jesus, and and I didn't have uh, an accountability in my time with him for the first six months. I just, I was just kind of striving in this. I'm a Christian, but I don't really know even what I'm doing. And then it was in that time that God kind of spoke to me. Was like, hey, like if we're gonna give you these kids to lead, you can only take them as deep as you are, and so mm. you better get serious about this pretty quick. And he just kind of smashed me in the face, and it was in waves. Like that's, I think if if I could describe God in my life, it has just been like these waves, and they're always there. He's always pressing mm-hmm. on me a little bit, but sometimes it, Hurricane Michael comes, right? And these waves are big. And so he he brought a few, and the first one was a wave of Tim Keller, and I was introduced uh, to just some of him talking the first time, and I was like, I don't know that God that you're talking about. I don't know him like that, mm-hmm. and. uh and so I bought my first Tim Keller book, Prodigal God. And I was like, man, this blew my mind. So I bought another one and another one. Now I'm like seven books into Tim Keller. And it sounds insane, but Tim Keller, who I've never met, is discipling me. And he's, <laughs> That's he's, good. That's right. He was discipling me. He was yeah. changing. God mm-hmm. was using a man I'd never met to change my heart. And uh, and now a year and a half later, like I'm a very different person. And, uh, and so we're doing Young Life still. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm... I'm able to interact with these kids on a d- different mm-hmm. level because now this is a real thing in my life. And then, um, and then he comes in another wave. We, we have kids. So actually we eventually step down and whatever. And, and then I'm kind of in this p- period of wilderness because right? we did young life. We went all in like it's an, it's an enthralling thing to give your life to other people and watch Jesus do stuff. It is the most satisfying thing you'll ever find. I mean, other mm-hmm. He is the most satisfying thing you'll ever find. But on top of that, doing his work and, and watching him work in kids' lives or other people's lives, it's it's a taste that you just can never get enough of. And then kids come, right? So we have like three kids in four years and we stop because it's like all of a sudden all these nights, all these young life things are at 730 at night. It's like, I can't go out four nights a week at 730. I got kids going to bed at seven. Mm-hmm. And we shut down that and, and now I'm kind of in this wilderness again. And it's like, man. Like, what am I going to do? Um, and I'm just, I'm struggling just with like, God, what do you have for me? Like, I'm like, what do you want me to do? I know you have more for me. And then he came in another wave, right? And so he brings, um, and I, it's, he brought me uh, to Matt Chandler. And so I like f- 
found Matt Chandler and he started to speak to me through him. And then he kind of brought me to John Piper and he brought all these famous people that I would say into my life in that regard. I've never met him, but he just started to mold my heart with them. And every time he started to, to drive me deeper, deeper and deeper to want to know him. And all of a sudden now I'm sitting there in free time, like it's just taken over my life. Like I'm like, I just, I need to know this deeper. Um, and that's what I'm like. I, I, he has a plan for me. Like, what do you want from me? What do you want? And, uh, and that's when he was, I felt him being like, it's, you, you dealt with high school kids. Let's go lead some men. And so I sat on that for like a year and a half and, uh, I didn't, had no idea what to do with it. I wrote this huge stick paper thing out or what I didn't know what to do with it. And I was just struggling. And one time Ryan's preaching, it's like a year and a half ago. And, uh, he's talking, he's like, if he's like, everybody that follows Jesus has something that they should be doing and God has equipped you for. You need to walk into that. Like that's on you. And Tanya's like hitting me. <laughs> I see church. She's like, he's talking yeah. to you. He's talking to mm-hmm. you. And I'm like, I know he is, but I don't want, you know. And so that's when I approached Nate and I was like, hey, I've got this idea for uh, for like a, a class or something we could do with men. And that's how we built Man Up, which, yeah. which was of- really fun. We had like 30 some guys and we're going to run that again here hopefully um, later in the year. Uh, but it was this vision of like men need to know what the Bible says about what it is to be a man. And, and what it looks like to be a dad and a and a husband who loves Jesus, like let's just do that, and uh, and so he he kind of did he kind of showed me that and that and then um, then I started talking to you because for a minute I was trying to to find a seminary to join, but I it was like right when our other child was being born I was like I don't think I can do this, um, but it, I I don't know it's it's just been this wave after wave of of trying to figure out like what do you have for me, but for me. Every time it's driven me deeper into the Bible, mm-hmm. and um, and I don't know, like I never really enjoyed reading as a kid. I don't even really enjoy reading that much now. Like I wouldn't sit down and read a Sports Illustrated, but for, to have like two hours of free time now would be like, oh man, mm-hmm. I would love to sit in His Word for two hours and just see what it has for me. And it's 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 an exhausting but like unbelievably satisfying thing to sit in His presence and read His Word and really give it time. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I mean that, what is the Bible meant to you? Like what, what is your interaction with it look like? I, I enjoy the Bible I, and I must admit there've been times I've been a nerd about it. Oh, I'm a definitely a Bible nerd. I've decided that. Yeah. And so, and, and being a Bible nerd, that's not the same as Bible study. Yeah. <laughs> because I could study hours at it. Matter of fact, you, you'll get caught. I'll catch myself getting involved. And all of a sudden, I look up, and three or four hours have gone by, and I go, "Wow, this! Yeah. I, I don't have three or four hours for this, but this is so good." Yeah. <clears throat> but there, what I've what I found is, is you can become guilty about how much time or how little time you spend in God's Word, and I don't think it's meant to be that way. I think what drives you to God's Word is the same thing that drives you to if you want to be excel at golf, you read golfing books and watch golfing videos. Yeah. What, what drives me in a proper way to God's Word is that I want to be able to share that with people. I want to know God's heart so I'm not just leading them astray. See, it's part of what I do. It's part of what all of us do that have been called by God. There's a certain level that we want to feel like I know God. And you are right. You can never share with someone else adequately what you have not experienced yeah. and ingested. Yeah. If it's not part of you, and I tell that, we tell that to our people all the time. Don't try to preach beyond your maturity. Yeah, beyond your understanding. It'll be a disaster. Yeah, just don't even do that because that 
you, it, you'll feel like a hypocrite and you'll, it'll be a disaster. Mm-hmm. So, and so uh, studying God's Word really, after a while, it refreshes you. And it's something that doesn't happen all at once. And I think that's one of the things that we often mistake. We think that either two ways. We either think that it's so overwhelming, we'll never understand it, so why even start? I just don't have that much time. Yeah. Or we say, uh, you know, we get in and we want it all at once. And when you go to seminary, you get it all at once, but you don't know it. Yeah. It, it still takes, life has to catch up, uh, or you, you have to experience what you've read. And then, hmm. and I found that in my life, just like your waves, the, the waves of understanding hit when I was mature enough to understand it. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, that's what that means. It is fascinating. Like, you'll read something like, we're sitting here, your Bible's open to Ephesians. Like, you'll read Ephesians when you're 23, and then maybe you go through some other stuff. You come back to it when you're 27, and it's you take something totally different from it. And it's and, because you now know God's heart in that in that yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. And I think that's something that, what another thing that we learned, and I learned this, you know, I've learned a lot coming here in the last eight years. I really have. I've learned... I've learned how you take the Word of God and actually use it to address the needs of your community. Hmm. And I think our pastoral team, with with Jeff leading it, does a phenomenal job at doing that. And it's like, oh, the Bible wasn't just meant to be memorized. It was meant to be applied. Yeah. And so I really, I really and having said that, that's something that I've sort of uh, begun to understand more clearly because when I'm heavy into teaching it, I'm heavy into know it. Yeah. In a, in an academic sense. Yeah. Some people are heavy into being mission oriented. They don't know the Bible at all, but they're just down there digging away. Because and often I look and I think, oh, that's their personality. And then some people are just relational to the hilt, and you know they're they're in the community and they they just love visiting you in the hospital and fixing your meals and mowing your lawn and yeah. And there's nothing like it, and that because that's their personality. You put a team together that has all those three, and then you have something that's really vibrant. Yeah. But as, as we have with individuals, I've found that sometimes I need to be in God's Word because I, I've, I've, I'm facing a situation. And, and I remember the first time I didn't know how to handle some real tough situations in ministry. Well, I started digging into God's Word, and it took me longer than I thought it would take. And, I'm, and then I, <laughs> that's when I realized, oh, I need to be preparing all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's when you start the discipline of actually studying the Bible, not because you're a nerd, but because you realize that the, you have to prepare for the tsunamis that are coming. Mm-hmm. You know, just like we prepared for this thing, and it still destroyed Mexico Beach. Yeah, it's gone. And, and there was this island out in the Pacific just this past month too that got overrun by a tsunami, and and it's almost like. I don't know why they were on this island because they just overrun the whole island. It's yeah. like, really? Didn't you know that? I mean, you know, in other words, sometimes when you when you know what's coming, you know it's going to. I mean, it may not come this week, so you develop certain disciplines. So you build sea walls, or you develop whatever you do. You 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 try to do whatever you can to develop uh, defense against what's happening. Yeah, I mean, because you're gonna there's going to be things in life, and I have shared this before. Like we had a stillbirth, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, like trying to, I you have to be a little bit equipped before yeah. that even comes, or else mm-hmm. it's going to flatten you. And it didn't flatten Tanya and I, but it hit us pretty good. Sure. Um, 
There's nothing you that's good. That's like a tidal wave. You prepare for it, but it's still going to hurt. It's still going to hurt. Yeah. Um, But I think if if I didn't have any of the truth of like who God was, it probably would have just washed me over. Yes. But what I had had in that moment, and this is two years ago, just about like I had enough of it that I was able to just still stand. Mm-hmm. And stand, and you just hurt, and you don't, and you lead you to more questions, and you're like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And actually, frankly, it pushed me back into the Bible deeper to almost be more prepared for the next tsunami because then I'm like, okay, I can stand here and say, I know he's still good. Um, and I want to know him better, mm-hmm. you know. So when this, when something like this happens again, when the next, whatever happens in our life, that I can be even sure, like, I know who God is. Like, I know what he is, you know? Well, see, you've got, your your this discussion we're having now catches the practicality of God's word. It was given so that we might know God, so that we might have life and have it more abundantly mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ. And it's almost like they're preparing us for the challenges and the trials of life, not only in life in general, but the fact that we're trying to rescue people from the blindness and death that they face. And so you're going to... So when I talk about studying the Bible, I don't think you ought to say, well, I've got to know it all at once. What you do is you study, you have a discipline that you're actually studying it. And and I found that when you learn something in the Bible, usually God brings an opportunity along to sort of solidify that understanding by applying it in life. So you actually study it, you you begin to know it, and, and the more you live it in life, the more you know it. And then you have times in your life where you actually are in community and you're, especially if you if you have a family, you don't have ten hours to give to the Bible. Let's no. just be honest. Yeah. And I don't think that that's being wise to do that because God also calls you to take care of your family. Yeah. But here's the thing: you should have prepared for that so that the Bible is the foundation of how you raise your children hmm. or strengthen you. Yeah. And then once you live in family, you can't help but touch lives. I knew that was just living our family, growing up and when we lived in Leroy, up in Lake County. Uh, just uh, my, you know, I wanted my kids to experience some of the things. So they played, you know, community softball and community soccer and that type of thing. And just being with, just doing that with my family, put me in contact with people. And my children knew all the children. I knew all the parents. And then we now have a contact where we actually can talk about God. They have their problems. I have my problems. Oh, we have the same problem. How do you handle? meet your problem. I do this. Oh, really? This is what I do. And they, they look at you or, or think, I've never thought that or you're crazy or you know this. But what happens, you begin to interact with people. And the more you live in the Bible, then you have reasons to go back. The more you interact with people, then it drives you back to God's Word. And then pretty soon it's almost like a cycle. Yeah. I study God's Word. I live it. I give it away. I study God's Word. And it's not this thing of, wow, do I have to give 10 hours to God this week? It's like Oh, I gave 10 hours to God this week. Yeah. I either did it in studying, living it, or giving it away. And all of them have to play together. That's a cool way to look at it. That is a really cool way to look at it. I know for me, and one thing you said there, and I find it fascinating, is like a lot of times God meets you in in his word with what you're going through so that it's like speaking to you in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I've been reading, um, I mean, I've been heavy hitting it here. I'm in Deuteronomy 32 right now, so I've been trucking through Deuteronomy for a while here, um, and that is a wild book. Uh, and I did num- I did numbers right before that, but it's been fascinating to me. Um, you know, walking 
Genesis, Exodus, Vegas, Numbers. And I'm going to take a break and go to Hebrews next because I need some New Testament. <laughs> go to Hebrews, um, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's such an easy book. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it, one thing that, like, and I've been, I was just sharing this with Tanya. I, I was standing in the shower and I was thinking about something. And um, I, I have someone close to my life that's kind of like at this point, there's like, I like what, like, well, I don't understand the point. Like, I'm trying to find joy in this, like, like, what is the point of all this, like, trying to be a Christian? And I, I just am struggling in that. And and I was able to look at it, and I'm like, something hit me for the first time, like, kind of fresh as I was looking um, kind of at the end. As Paul's describing that one day we'll be, like, more than conquerors. We'll be with Jesus. We'll be like him. We're going to reign with him. And I'm like, well, maybe, like, maybe that's the point. And I'm like, okay. And so then I'm like, well, let me look at the beginning. So we went to Genesis one right at the beginning Mm -hmm. and it's like in the beginning god made us to image him he wanted to dwell with us and he gave us dominion to rule and so i was like wait a second so at the very beginning i'm I'm picking this up that god wanted to dwell with us that we were to image him and we're going to reign in some power and then i looked at the very end again and paul's like you will be with him Mm -hmm. you will be like him imaged and you will reign with him and i'm like okay so if the beginning and the end are the same, then clearly the middle is probably walking to that. And so I, I got out yeah. of the shower and I ran downstairs to Tanya and I was like, I'd never thought of this before. And I said, of course, that's what we're going to be in heaven. Like, I always wondered that, like, like, you're almost like, that seems too good to be true, Paul. Like, we're really mm-hmm. going to reign with Jesus, like, like him. And then for the first time, it hit me like, of course, this is what it's going to be. This is what it was always made to be. We were made in his image to reign with him and to dwell with him. That's what we're going to do. And now what this life is surely about is in changing us a little bit at a time, and it is slow sometimes, to to dwelling more with him as we encounter more of his spirit taking over our lives, to be an extension of him, like imaging him to the world, as he gives us the power to be a part of his kingdom, slowly picking up speed and reigning more. That's incredible. I'd never picked that up till just yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's and, great. Uh, and I, I was just like, for me, I, for me, like I look at that, and I'm like, golly, like that is God, like that is who He is, like in in the Bible, like that is Him, like look what He's done, like He's created us to image Him, and we're gonna reign with Him, and he's, He wants to dwell with us. And then I see what you're saying now is like that excites me not, that excites me not to sit in that in my room, but to take that out, mm-hmm. right, and be like, oh, we get to. We get to reign with him. We're going to be an instrument of his kingdom. Like, let's see what his kingdom has in store for Akron yeah. or for my hospital where I work. Like, what could his king? What's his kingdom want to do here? Like, take yeah. this over. Um, I I want to image him here at work. Like, that'd be really cool to be an image of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to. I, I trust that he's dwelling with me as I do this. But for me, like, I see exactly what you're saying now. Like, the know it, live it, give it away is the same thing. It's all, like, it has to go together. Yeah, Because if, I'm, together. if you're just knowing it, you're missing it. If you're just giving it away, you've got nothing to give, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and if you're just living it, you, you kind of got to walk both ways. Just, just listening to you makes reminds me of Galatians chapter five, where he talks about the fruit of the spirit. Yeah, and how to walk and live in the spirit, and you know, it's love, joy, peace, and, you, and then at the end of it, he says, "And against these there is no law." Yeah, and I love that. It's like, you know, 
whenever we live through the Spirit and we, we, we enact with people, interact with them, and, and what comes out is this love and this joy and this peace and long-suffering and gentleness and kind, and you just keep going, it's like that's what everybody wants to experience in life. Yeah. And there's no law that says you can't show kindness to anybody. Yeah. You cannot, you cannot show love. That's against the law. Yeah. No, no self-control here, you know. I think that's very interesting. I'm just thinking about that because we're always talking about whether you walk in the flesh or whether you walk in the spirit. Yeah. This is one of the principles that, that we talk about, about how we do our life. And I think this is the biggest struggle that people have. And Paul talks about that also in Romans. Romans 6, right? Romans 6. Starts at Romans 6 and goes all the way through 8, <clears throat> you know, where he's just talking about that struggle. Yeah. And, uh, and when you, of course, you have sin and the law, which joins with the flesh and really causes a problem mm-hmm. when you're trying to walk in the flesh without Jesus Christ. But I love this, this whole concept here. When, you, when, you're, when you're walking in the flesh, you're, you're using the, one, the most wonderful tool that God has given us, this body. Mm-hmm. But you're doing it not understanding what it's for. You don't have it under control it's 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 controlling you. It's and it's and it's and it's just running wild. It's like a car that doesn't have a driver yeah, or a steering and wheel it's in stuck it. In, stuck in fifth gear, just flying. Yeah, the <laughs> and, accelerator down. And so, but uh, if you live for the flesh, basically you're following all the desires of the flesh without the control of God in them. And you know, different translations translate the word sarks differently. But but if but if when you translate it flesh, you begin to understand the problem. When God created us, he formed this body, and then he breathed into it his spirit. Mm -hmm. And technically, we are spirit beings that have been joined to a a phenomenal body, and together when it it forms, they they form this unity that that creates a living soul, that creates life. Yeah. But if you don't realize that the body's a tool, and you walk by that, you're always going to be struggling because you're going to try to fulfill it, but without the purpose that it was meant for. It was meant for to walk on this earth that God created with God to accomplish wonderful things as the hands and the feet of God. Yeah. But if you walk in the Spirit, then you're able to use the body to create love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, you know, yeah. all this. And so you you go, oh, and now I think that's, but people are, I think where we struggle is we actually like to live and walk in the flesh. Yeah, I would say that's a correct. I, I mean, I know that's the struggle. <laughs> yeah. And and we experience the joy of it, and that joy is a is a fleshly type joy. And, you know, in the Bible, you're always, you always have what, what happens when you're not following the spirit and you're just following the flesh, and then it has that whole list of the fruit of the flesh. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the things that we struggle with in, in Know It, Live It, Give It Away is, is having people realize that the body is a phenomenal thing, but without understanding God's mind and God's heart for the body, we follow a, a selfish, deceptive concept on how to use it. And so we're always struggling against the flesh hmm. without realizing that uh, that we need to have the spirit of I mean we our spirit needs to yield to the spirit of God in working it. Yeah. So so when God's spirit comes into our hearts does he just slowly like does he just slowly 
push more of him into our hearts? Like, how does that, cause like, I think what people struggle <laughs> yeah. with is they're like, okay, like I, I lived in the flesh. I was not a Christian. I was just, just doing life about me. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, I figured out, I realized like, whoa, like I'm a mess. I need Jesus. I invite him into my heart. Jesus is here walking with me. Why am I still struggling so much with this same stuff? Why do I feel like I'm still in the flesh with all this? I think that's a question that most of us ask. Because most of us think what we wish that that everything that was before, we read that verse, uh, things are different now. Yeah. You know, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, yes. all things Second become Corinthians new. 517, is that yes. one? Yeah. New you go, oh, really? That's great. And then we just charge, and, and pretty soon we see something it reminds us of something that we used to do, and we remember all the pleasures it brought to the body. And before we know it, we're there again. We go, oh, I thought I was changed. Yeah. Well, there's. it's just like Abraham. Remember Abraham, the father of our faith, he goes to uh, Canaan. The first thing he finds out in the story, of course, it, we don't know the, the actual chronology, but the first thing that happens is they're in a famine. And it's like, great, God sends me to this place. And there's nothing here. Yeah. Thank you, God. Yeah. So what's he do? The first thing he does is he runs down to Egypt. And then when he gets down there, he starts doing the same old political, social baloney that he did before he gave his, before he started following God. And it mm-hmm. gets him into real trouble. He almost gets his wife, pawns yeah, his wife he off. He pawns his wife off. And, so, and then when God intervenes, he, he, he realizes, oh. I should have trusted God. So what's he do? He builds an altar, and he confesses his sin, and he, and he asks God's forgiveness, and he commit, you know, he's going to follow him. And we see that movement all the way through his life until chapter 22 when he finally comes to the realization that I'm going to obey God even if I don't quite grasp the whole story because I trust God, and he'll make it. He's going to work through this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we have to, I think what happens is when we become Christians, just like you asked, the, the Spirit of God, we think it's going to be boom. Well, it is boom. Yeah. But the point is, we're not used to that boom. We still have the memory, and it's always there. You know, the, you never forget. No. I, mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I, yeah. I, I, but what I do remember, I remember the sin I've done. Yeah, I, I, can, I, can, I can recount all the major sins I've done. Yeah, I can, so I can tell them to you, but I also remember confessing those to God, and I remember accepting the forgiveness of God for every one of those. So when they come back to haunt me, they don't haunt me long because I also remember God's love, and God's love covers a multitude of sin. Yeah. So what happens is you get used to, you get used to you know, trusting what God's word says. God promised He would send a Savior. I've sinned. Yes, I have. God promised to send a Savior. And so you have to, almost like Abraham, you have to work through the, the actual yielding process. It's not something that just changes automatically. And that's, that's the tough part about life is God gives us all that's necessary, and he works, he plans, he sets it all up. But you have to take his hand, mm-hmm. or you have, to, you have to embrace his heart. That's Habakkuk. You know, he's his prophet. He's arguing about God. But in the end, he realizes, hmm, I have to embrace God. But it's an up-and-down process, and I think it takes time. I'm just being practical here. As you look at the the men that God develops, 
Well, I think you see that in the Bible too. I mean, oh, yeah. the heroes of the Bible, a lot of them were train wrecks, kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, they were unbelievably up and down, right? I mean, Moses killed a guy, then he's always getting angry and hitting things. <laughs> he, had an ang- he had an anger problem, right? Yeah. Anger management issue. Uh, I mean, David <clears throat> and Bathsheba, Bathsheba, I mean, you look mm-hmm. at it, and I mean, Peter, all these people, I mean, they weren't like instant perfections, right? And, they and, had these things where they're constantly seeking God's heart, learning from their sin. And I think that what separates them, what I feel like you're saying is the step is not, hey, you're you're going to be completely changed. It's, hey, as you you will be ultimately, but not immediately. But right. the step is, hey, you're going to be drawn more to the heart of God that as you surrender things to him, those things will slowly start to die in your life and they start yeah. to disappear. In a, in a sense, it's just like salvation. In your standing, you have said no to that. But in your actual experience, the, the sanctification, the changing of your life, it does take time. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. There's never an excuse to sin. But, <clears throat> but God works through us, and we, we begin to understand him. What I find that is that your faith, you have to actually believe that God can forgive you. I've, I've been, we were dealing with this. I've been dealing with this a lot lately because I interact with the, with the older segment of our, of our church. Mm-hmm. One of the two biggest problems that we find is, is regret. <clears throat> and unforgiveness. In other words, people come to a certain part in their life, they're older, especially older, and they've never forgiven people or they've never forgiven events. And so what happens is is you begin to talk to them and you find that there are certain things that separate us from God. Our sin separates us from God. You know, we always fall short and we don't, we don't acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Our selfishness separates us from God because we want to go our way. We don't want to go his way. But one of the biggest things it does is our unforgiving heart. Hmm. And, uh, you know, when you don't confess your sins, that's, that's kind of tough. You're not even interested in forgiveness. Yeah. But, uh, but when, when someone else harms you, it's the other side of that. If you don't forgive them, then you end up bearing the pain anyway of their sin. And so it's sort of, it makes you bitter. It makes you hardened. It darkens your heart. And that's what I think of the things that when you get older, and that's been, you've been doing that for 20, 30 years, that's some of the biggest problems we face. Hmm. And, and I think that's as we grow and let the Spirit of God work in our lives, we begin to realize that we're people who have to have a forgiving heart and a loving heart. And, uh, and that's an important thing as we reach out to people. Yeah. But, uh, but I think that's part of that spirit thing is you have to trust God that he's actually going to change you. But then, and then as you trust him, then as you enter it, because God's not in the, he doesn't, he doesn't manipulate us. I've had to wrestle with this too. He doesn't manipulate us. That's a, that's a deception of the devil. He's the one who tries to manipulate you. Yeah. But God does, he basically with God, it's, God wants you to respond to him as he responds to you in love and in commitment. And it's, uh, it's, it's like a mutual embrace. Well, we call it here a relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this question. Um, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite book or like a favorite um, chapter of the Bible that's that you would say, man, like this has spoken to me or this has been the most important thing in my life, like that I've come to or whatever? I, I mean, I I like 
to be honest with you, almost any book I read at the time, I'm beginning to learn it a little bit more and experience it more in my heart. It becomes my favorite at least for that <laughs> period of time. But through the years, there's been a couple verses that really have been dear to my heart. And one of them is the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen and 17. Yeah. And I just love that because I, I'm reminded all the way through the, the epistles, do not forget what Jesus has done for you. And, and sometimes it's so easy to forget that. We elevate what others have done or what the world gives us over the more important things. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It tells us, and I, I think that changed my thinking a lot, is God actually does love us in a proper sense. And then, of course, like freedom or love, these words are big words, and everybody likes to define them according to their own way. But God does it in the pure sense. He loves us so much that he gives. And that's one of the things that also is, it, it challenges us is we need to learn to be giving people who give and people who love. So he loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. And, you know, talk, and then it goes on to talk about, you know, we were already condemned, so he doesn't condemn yeah. us. no. He, he gave Jesus Christ so that we could be freed. Jeff always talks about 317 because no one recites yeah. that one, but it's like such a cool one. It is. And that son, son it, did not come to condemn. It's the finishing touch to the fullness of God's love. Yeah. But my favorite verse is uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We recite that for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God and he will direct your pathway. That's cool. And and I really like that because what it does at every level of trust, if you're willing to actually do that, even if your faith is low, if you're willing to actually trust God and begin to think as he thinks and see and just say, even if I can't see God in this, I trust his heart. And then you walk through it and you go, okay, I'm glad I trusted God's heart. If I'd have gone this way, this would have happened. If I'd have gone this way, this would have happened. Yeah. But, and, and you look back and you trust God and you walk with him and all of a sudden you realize he's directed my path or he's made it straight from here to here. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then you learn more. Your faith grows as you interact with God. Yeah, yeah, Tim Keller, one of my favorite quotes from him is he's describing like your the path that, that God has for you and how he protects you and we wish there were always straight lines. And he said, a lot of times it's like a river and it has all these little creeks that you get thrown into and you get cotton bushes and this and that and all this crazy mm-hmm. stuff. But at the end, like he's got your he's got you fixed, like you're heading That's down the stream. You know, keep kicking you there. It just might take a long time to get yeah. there. And he but directs he's protecting it. you and he's yeah. directing you in that way. I mean the path, the word could be translated straight, but I agree with what he's saying. I think the best way of translating it is directs it. Yeah. In other words, God God's the one who is the pilot of your life if you trust him. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, let me get you out of here on this last question. I, I ask everybody this. Um, why do you love Jesus? That's, a, that's the same question we ask everybody who wants to be baptized. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember struggling with why Jesus came and uh, if he had to die until I read First John. When you read John and First John in Revelation, all of a sudden dawns on you what he's done for us. But what I, what I love about Jesus is the fact that he was willing to sacrifice everything for me. Now, I know that's kind of selfish, but uh, I don't think I would have, there was no other way. Yeah. And, and he was willing to die for me, giving up his position. I, this comes right out of Philippians 2. It's like, really? You mean God? You're sitting there and you say, 
Father, I think I'm going to go down and die for these guys. Yeah. And he goes, why would you do that? I, Billy Graham used to talk about this yeah. all the time. But uh, why would you do that? Well, you know, I did create them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but I, I just love the fact that he doesn't hold anything back. He pursues us. Like I say with my father, I saw that in my dad. And, uh, and it calls me to do that too. And, and I know my own struggles with that. And when I see Jesus, what he did, and when you, when you read about this, you go, wow. Uh, and to know who he is. I mean, because I, do, I mean, if I die, it's just for me. But Jesus actually died for not only my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And, and, I, and I love him for that. I really appreciate it. But one of the things it does, he calls us also to walk with him and so if I think to myself, I could never do that, and I remember, oh yeah, Jesus did that. Yeah, and, cool. and I can and I can do that too. That's awesome. In His in the power of the Spirit that He gives me. That's cool. Well, hey, I appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out with me this afternoon. Oh man, I've enjoyed this. Let's talk for another hour. Yeah, you want to? <laughs> All right. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>